You are listening to The Exchange by Evolution, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Asia. I'm Sid, and I help tech companies hire the best talent across product and sales, and today I'm your host. Today we will be talking about building, maintaining, and retaining teams. And joining us today is Abhishek Kasina, the CPO at LiveSpace. Asia's largest omni-channel home interiors and renovation platform. They are one of four companies that achieved unicorn status last year and the company raised around a total of $450 million in capital from notable investors like KKR and Inca Group. And they operate in Singapore, Malaysia, KSA, which is Saudi Arabia and India. Quick disclaimer before we get into anything. All thoughts and opinions discussed in the podcast are that of the individual and not that of their companies. So I guess with that out of the way, let's get started. It's great to have you here today. Great to be here, sir. So just to allow our listeners to get to know you a little bit better, can you just share like a high-level description about your background and uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Uh, very quickly, right? Um, I've been working at technology companies for a fair bit now. Uh, I did my undergrad in computer science uh, from uh, IIT, which is one of the premier institutes in India for engineering. Uh, I worked for a few uh, years as a developer, getting my hands dirty, building products from uh, scratch. Then I transitioned into product management, which seemed to be a very natural uh, evolution given what I was enjoying uh, as uh, I was actually part of the entire engineering uh, teams in some of the companies before. And as a transition to that, I did my master's in London Business School. Uh, most of my product management career, I've been at LiveSpace. Uh, I've also had a brief stint uh, in Kareem, which is one of the largest uh, transportation uh, networks. It started off as one of the largest transportation networks in the Middle East. Now it's become like the everyday super app of the Middle East. And uh, that was a very interesting experience. Um, and through this entire journey, I've also had the opportunity and privilege to work with a large number of uh, startups as part of accelerators as well. Um, and at LiveSpace in particular, I oversee the entire uh, product uh, platform evolution uh, as we are looking at the entire home industry. Um, as Sid was saying, right, I think we've spent a considerable amount of time. Uh, on this problem, it's almost been eight years uh, that we've been working. And as Jeff Bezos says, right, as much as it's a cliche, it's day one. There's a lot to do. And uh, uh, I just have had the privilege to lead a world-class team, build and lead a world-class team at uh, LiveSpace. And super excited to talk about that entire journey and share that with you guys. Yeah, perfect. So... I think, you know, in our previous conversations, I think this is one of the topics that you're probably the most passionate about and something that you're very keen on speaking on. Um, I guess, tell us a little bit more about how you got into product leadership specifically. Yeah. Um, I'd actually break this down, right? I mean, product leadership is um, actually composed of two parts. Uh, product leadership as a mindset and product leadership as a role, right? Um, I think anybody who's, who, need, who wants to be a successful product manager uh, needs to become a product leader in their mindset very, very early on, 
right so and what i mean by that is you are taking ownership and accountability of what you are building and you are ensuring that whatever you are building is delivering the right value to your uh, customer right like that that's where it starts so i see a lot of product managers uh just coming into product management because it's cool uh and then you know they kind of struggle their way to uh reaching there i think i've been very very fortunate in that way that very very early on in my career i've had the opportunity to work in startups and that to early stage startups so if i'm actually tracing back my journey right like i said i worked for a few years as a software developer but very very early on i transitioned into a very early stage startup that was literally uh, you know being ideated yeah so we were for the first few months working out of cafes Yeah, so literally, it was like four of us. We used to go in the morning, sit there, uh, order a bunch of coffees because other, otherwise we'd be kicked out. So every two hours, we used to order a coffee. But uh, from an experience perspective, what I've had the opportunity to do was I I was literally the tech person number one, right? So there was a business person, there was a, a product person, etc. But tech was just me in the beginning, right? And that actually. exposed me to two great uh mindsets in a way right first the fact that i had to own and drive almost everything right so if something had to happen i had to do i had to own and to and and kind of do it and second it also uh gave me exposure into various facets of running a technology right like i was doing the development part but i was also doing the product management part and i was doing the analytics part and i was doing the design part and i was doing the devops part like because we didn't have a choice that you know quite honestly that's a very small scale right it's not as much as the scale that we are operating but it still gave me a taste of what it is uh, and that is when i kind of realized that hey maybe you know what product management is something that i'm enjoying more because that's right at the intersection of a lot of key work streams right business product management product design data uh, and you also have the sense of ownership when you are actually bringing all of this together so i had both of these exposures very very early on and that is what helped me make a very conscious decision that hey you know i want to really give product management non a shot and then see where it goes and that that's where it all started and one of the thing that i realized at that point in time was you know i was good at problem solving which was fine and you know problem solving leveraging technology i think that's that's a very important thing but one thing that i felt was missing and I, as a product manager i think this is a very important uh, characteristic that you need to be self aware okay? so i kind of realized that it's great that i can problem solve but my problem solving was still chaotic right so it kind of needed a very you know can i add more structure into my problem solving can i understand business problems in a structured way and then put together solutions cohesively where i'm not just solving this problem because i see it or somebody told me but i step back look at the entire business and break it down right and that is what prompted me to kind of pursue my masters in management and then i went in uh 
did it in London Business School. And then I came back and at that point, I was very, very sure. And, and I remember <laughs> back in university, right? I think uh, we have different terms where different companies kind of come in. So the first term is like consulting, the second term is like banking, and like third term is retail and product management. And I was like very, very sure. I was like, I'm only going to do product management. So I was not giving consulting interviews, I was not giving banking interviews. And people were like, you know, panicking, like, why are you not, like, you should go and you should do mm-hmm. But I was like very, very clear that this is what I want to do. And then we figure out uh, my path. And uh, that was when I kind of stumbled upon LiveSpace. And funnily enough, uh, at LiveSpace, I was product manager number one. Right? Again, I think there was a very weird continuity from my pre-master's era to post-master's era. Um, and uh, you know, that's how it started. Now, the transition from a product manager to a product leader post that when the mindset has shifted but actually in terms of roles i think what contributes to that would be a combination of i think three factors right the first factor is results and impact right there is nothing that will replace that you need to be consistent in delivering outsized value to your users and to the business. Now, it's your ability to kind of figure out what are those initiatives that I'm going to pick up to be able to deliver that. So I think that's one. The second thing is a little bit of foresight and planning, right? Like you need to be very clear that this is where I want to reach and you need to have honest conversations with everyone that, hey, you know, I'm looking uh, to reach here. And how do we kind of map the whole thing? And a uh, uh, very, very closely related part to that is you need to be okay to take risks. Right? So I'll probably dig deeper a little bit on that. And I think third thing, which a uh, lot of people massively underestimate or overestimate, right? Mm-hmm. Since there's no middle ground, unfortunately, when people look at this, is luck and serendipity, right? It does play a part. Yeah, so you need to be okay that there's a lot of uh, good people that have been on very very good paths but you know things didn't work out at the last moment or something it, it's not a testament to them not doing well sometimes luck, luck makes uh, plays a very important part so i think that's what's important and particularly in my journey i think there have been different phases where some things worked out much more importantly for example I think when I was in live space earlier, the very fact that I was product manager number one gave me a lot of insight into how the whole platform was architected, right? And it's a very complex problem. So even today, when somebody comes and tells me, hey, this is how I've written a PRD, this is how I'm problem solving it, I would be able to say, hey, you know what? You're doing the right thing or very quickly identify what's going wrong and very quickly course correct, right? So, no, that's on understanding the whole thing. But when I actually transitioned uh, for a couple of years to Kareem and then I came back, the Kareem experience was also very, very useful because from a product suite that was focused on designers and customers and it's a low-frequency transaction in a way that uh, LiveSpace does, I got exposed to a high-frequency transaction where we were doing probably, a, back in those days, right? we were doing a million transactions a day. Right? So that was a stark contrast and it was it was a risk. Like I kind of said 
I'll consciously take a pause. I'll get myself exposed to something else, which gives me a new skill set and which, which will give me a new edge. And then I'm going to come back. Right? Um, and yeah, and once I kind of came back to live space, I was able to bring all of that together in the live space context. And then a call back to the first point, right? How do you consistently keep delivering results and impact? So the more you kind of demonstrate that, uh, the path to leadership becomes more and more clearer for you. Now, a final aspect to it is if you want to be a leader in the true sense, you need to be able to manage people and teams. And that is something that you need to learn over time, right? So a lot of times people want to become product leaders very, very quickly because they see that, you know, it's, it's very glamorous. Honestly, it's not. Right? <laughs> so uh, there's a lot more nuances other than just problem solving, writing PRDs uh, that uh, you as a product leader need to solve and you need to be exposed to the right set of things to kind of grow, right? So my final thing on product leadership would be don't rush through it, right? It's okay to take time to kind of get there. So I would say, you know, the topic that we're going to be speaking on uh, about building maintaining and retaining teams it's maybe particularly poignant now uh given the seeing you know companies doing mass layoffs uh a lot of uncertainty in this industry the tech industry um i guess each you you've been through multiple phases within the lift space journey right you've done the building you've done the maintaining you have to do the retaining constantly yeah um so I guess take us through that um, when you were first building the teams. What what were you looking out for in the people that you brought on board? And I guess how do you decide, you know, who to add into the teams and how to structure the teams? Yeah. I think that's a, that's a very uh, good question and. But actually add a little bit more context to this question. So why you added that, hey, this is the current macroeconomic scenario and something else is happening. Uh, what I believe is when you're building teams, it's very, very important for the product leader to figure out the purpose of building that team, given the context and maturity of the organization, right? So. You don't want to be building massive teams uh, with a lot of functions when you're like very, very early. Right? And to be honest, for the first few years, we were just like two product managers. Right? And increasingly as the platform grew, we started adding more and more. Now, because I've seen the entire evolution of uh, the product and technology teams at LiveSpace, I can actually give you how the thought process evolves in terms of how you're building teams, right? So very, very early on in the journey, you will be hiring out of necessity where you need that you see that people have run out of bandwidth, right? You say that, Hey, there is somebody who is, who I've hired as a product manager and you know, he's, he's doing a really good job. He or she is doing a good job, but you know, they have, they can't do more than this, but the scope of work is large, so I'll bring somebody else. And it becomes a very interesting cat and mouse thing, right? 
because you have people so you create work so you have work so you hire people and that kind of runs and that's that's how a lot of early stage companies growth stage companies kind of grow and if i actually take a step back it's not just growth stage companies or early stage companies but every company if it's in a growth stage for example uh facebook or google or zoom during covid right they were in a growth stage right uh and they weren't before they kind of were in a much more uh, state before and then you know startups very very early are need to be in a hyper growth stage and that's how things kind of grow at one point you kind of realize that this is inefficient right and now that inefficiency could come in many different ways right the first way could be that uh, there's a lot of duplication there's a lot of uh, lot of people on the ground but it you know the impact of that is not proportionate to the effort that's being put uh, or it could be that you know people are kind of getting burnt out uh, because of what they're doing and the fourth thing would be that you're trying to get people who are so so much of generalists because you expect them to do analytics you expect them to do design and all of that and either they're like great generalists and they can't go into depth because as companies mature you need to like really go deep um or from a leadership and team building perspective it kind of becomes very inefficient to find people and hire such people right at scale because there's only so much supply of good generalists uh and that is when i think mindset shifts again so when you're going from like an early stage growth to a more mature organization you're going to flip the whole equation it'll basically say how do i see the organization what do i want the organization to do and for when I, and when i mean organization is a product organization right or a technology organization so given i have an end goal in mind that this is how i see a technology team work in the context of the broader company to that end how do i structure that right and that varies widely across every company right even if they're tackling the same problem because the strengths of every other team are going to be different and at least the way i look at my team is that how do we kind of support everybody else um and identify where whatever their weaknesses are and can be augmented and while doing this we need to ensure that the value to the user is uh, consistent right so broadly this is how uh, the thought process of building teams evolves and the way we have structured it live space was precisely based on this when we kind of started off we were a bunch of product managers uh, just picking up problems right and over time we switched uh, to a more cohesive approach where we are essentially looking at the overall organization strategy 18 24 months out and then we say okay if this is what we want to do how do we structure the team now that could uh, result in us saying hey we need to go and hire people or it could be that oh you know what we don't need to hire people but we just need to restructure teams or it could be that everything is hunky dory and you don't need to do much right so it could be any of these but 
I think it's very, very, very important for leaders to kind of be very clear on their mission. But at the same time, don't be uh, what should I say? Don't be attached to that, right? Because the market realities change, so you should be in line with what the market reality changes and corresponding the the company strategy changes, right? If that happens, you. Uh, you accept it and then figure out how to go forward um but i think the flip side to that is because it's it's not a very scientific thing right i think it's an art the whole leadership bit um you need to see which of those market trends are genuine medium to long term trends versus short term shocks because if you react to short term shocks then your team is going to be so much in flux and they don't have the psychological safety to do what they want but if you're actually genuinely looking at medium to long term trends and responding to them accordingly i think you know overall even the team will feel good and they kind of understand what's happening and why that's happening right so yeah that's my take on how to build teams but if there's anything in particular that uh, you don't know it I'm happy to. Okay, so once you've kind of built your team, you have the structure, you're happy with everyone in there. Um, how do you get the best out of them? You know, con- consistently, because I think everyone responds to a slightly different leadership style. Everyone has, you know, little nuances in their character. That as leaders, it's hard to identify for each person, but You have to try, and you have to do your best to get the best out of everyone. Yeah. So, how is that? How have you done it? And I guess how's the journey in that side? Um, again, this is a this is a topic that's very close to my heart. Um, I think the answer to this is a very cliche topic in most of the literature, the companies, but it is cliche because it's so true. Right. The answer to this is culture. now just like leaders need to be very very conscious when they're building and structuring teams up front and then uh, you're hiring or doing whatever is needed to put that team in place it's very very important as leaders for you to define the team's culture right and you can choose uh, to have a team culture that is slightly different from the company culture and that's okay right a lot of times i've seen people saying that hey this overall or culture so we don't want to change it it's okay because as long as you're working with the goal that you want to generate maximum value for your users and the organization you need to kind of define what works well uh, for the team and this is something i believe at live space we i've had the privilege to uh, see very very closely from our founders and i've learned from the best in a way right? both at kareem and live space uh, and i think both these places put so much uh, effort into defining and enforcing the culture that it's there in the fabric of every leader and how i see culture kind of 
okay let me actually simplify because culture means a lot of things to a lot of people in a nutshell what culture means is what do you celebrate and what do you kind of identify as something that's not accepted or something that needs to be changed if somebody demonstrates right in a nutshell that's what culture is culture is not that hey we go out on parties every saturday or something right that's great that's an outcome um but that's not the essence of what culture is right and it's very very important that culture is not just communicated but culture is actually reinforced right now communication helps right uh, the best leaders that i've seen communicate the culture as often as they can but when somebody in your team is looking at what is the impact of the culture in my life and why should i really care is when you are using culture as a framework when you are having conversations with them in terms of what's been good bad and ugly right um, so and and on the other hand you need to be or what i see has worked out very very well is you need to be ruthless on culture right they've had there've been instances where somebody was like very very smart but we had to let them go because they were under cultural threat and it's not a loss right because if we kind of allow somebody who's not a cultural threat to be part of the team teams will start questioning whether culture really makes sense right so i think it's about defining the right culture in terms of what you want to enforce uh what you want to see in a way right um, and very very religiously ensuring that that's there right uh, and as it is very very easy when you have a small team because you are able to see what's happening and then you can force that but as the teams kind of grow larger uh it becomes non trivial but i think that's um one of the biggest jobs of product leaders uh, so in most of my conversations with uh, my teams i say that guys you know you have very clearly defined product area somebody is doing customer experience somebody is doing growth or whatever uh, but do you know what my product area is right and then people kind of say oh you know the whole platform is your product area i said no the product team is my product area right i need to make sure that you guys are um happy you guys are uh growing learning and making sure that you know you guys are delivering impact that is actually setting yourself up for success right one of the very <laughs> popular uh, phrases in live space leadership and that's kind of come from anuj who's a co-founder and ceo he says leaders need to fire themselves right and what that actually means is that you are investing in your teams uh to learn grow and take over your whatever you're doing as of right now so that they see a very clear path to grow and you as we as leaders we are freeing up our time to kind of go after bigger problems right and in our teams in particular we actually celebrate somebody growing right if you see that hey somebody is doing really good job we love to take give them more responsibility 
and increasingly say that you know what you do more of my job and you see a very clear line of path to become me, me and then i kind of identify other opportunities and it's my responsibility to ensure that a you are growing and b i am identifying what are the future areas that we as an organization need to focus on not just the team so that this particular mindset allows both right the company is growing we know what to do and then uh, everybody in the team is growing as well okay so culture would be the primary thing that drives the high standard so i guess when when you are hiring right how do you assess for this that's so it's a very good question um in terms of cultural fit it's actually very very hard to assess right now the only way we can get a sense of the cultural fit is just through uh, experience right the more interviews you kind of take and then you make mistakes and that is what kind of gives you an insight that hey these are the red flags that i need to look out so there's not again a set template for cultural fit it's sheer number of interviews and sheer, honestly sheer number of mistakes you make in hiring okay so i would rather trust somebody who's made like a lot of not like a decent number of bad hires but less proportion of bad hires to actually assess fit than people who have not hired bad right <laughs> uh because i don't know what to attribute that to is like are you do you have like a secret sauce to kind of access it so very well or have you just been insanely lucky when you actually hired uh, people right so that's what i think culture kind of comes down to one is making mistakes in hiring second is the patterns that you kind of identify within your team because even in your team not everybody would be 100% cultural fit right not necessarily that they are misfits but you kind of see that hey this is where somebody is not doing a good job etc and then when you're having a conversation with uh people who are potentially interviewing with you uh you kind of look out for those factors so when i do any cultural fit assessment discussions i don't give them any case studies or anything right because yeah, people have already assessed him for that but what i kind of see is i start probing into their past experiences uh, and see how they kind of responded to specific instances that they themselves bring up uh and sometimes i just modify the situation and say hey imagine if you were doing the same thing but this parameter has changed how do you kind of do that now in those specific instances people can't fake right because there is no set scenario for them to kind of see and we kind of take whatever is a candidate's experience and then modify it because and that becomes very very unique to that particular interviewee right so people don't come prepared and more often than not they are they are honest selves um, and also during those discussions very very uh, early i kind of try to make them comfortable saying that and honestly it's it's an honest conversation uh because as much as we want to hire a person who's cleared all of the technical rounds um 
and they want to join us because you know they they have gone through all of those downs and they're speaking to us one thing that i believe is a candidate and a company or somebody in my team and my company we need to make sure that we are adding value to each other right if we as an organization cannot add value to you as a person then it's actually a wrong choice right sometimes candidates might not realize that uh, and that is why because early on in my career when i used to go through all of these hr interviews I was like why are they asking me all these questions right but the more i've kind of gone through it becomes very important because at some point you might you will be disillusioned with what you are actually doing uh, versus what your goals and dreams were right and that's how we look at hiring right it's not just that you have the technical chops to kind of uh, add value to us but we critically assess if we are able to add value to you in the medium to long term right short term it's great you're part of a company that's a unicorn and you get a brand and a cv which is great but you know are you in it for the long term and that is uh, how it works yeah so you know as a recruiter we know how hard it is for companies to retain talent right? like part of our jobs is to help these displaced candidates find new jobs and you know there, there's always a multitude of reasons why candidates leave their their roles whether it's uh disagreement with their direct manager or they are just you know looking for their career growth uh, whether it's monetary or title however they view it right how have you managed this because i think in our previous conversation you did mention that um attrition is is quite low and the people in your company generally stay and progress within the company yeah so yeah tell me a little bit more about that so i think it's a little bit of a call back to culture that i was talking about um and like i said i think live space we've been very very fortunate to be obsessed for the lack of a better word about having the right culture and having the right guardians for culture but beyond that um i think two reasons why we've been able to retain teams very very well uh like i said is one we are a very very transparent organization where we discuss what's happening on a very very uh, frequent basis like i sit with all of my leaders across the tech team every week and then we discuss a lot of things very openly uh, we have a monthly feedback uh, surveys that go out and then we get the feedback on the ground what's happening and then we are acting on that very very quickly so everybody in the organization knows that they have a voice right and then they can reach out to like i have open office hours that anybody in the team can just book and then have a conversation with me etc right so it's very very important for every single person to feel that they have a voice and they are being heard and they're being heard uh, in an empathetic way and not in a judgmental way right but that is deeply ingrained in the company and transparency is goes both ways like whatever is happening in the organization we make sure that everybody kind of gets exposed to that uh now there could be a slight delay because 
we want to ensure that things are structured right uh, when you have like a lot of context you can absorb a lot of chaos but especially if you're a product manager handling like one part how do you kind of manage it so sometimes take time to kind of structure it but we make sure that uh, you know there is complete transparency from uh, the leadership to every single person and we push for the same thing and one mantra that we use in the technology team and this is something that we established very early on was that as a team we're going to be better today than we were yesterday and we'll be better tomorrow than we were today right now however incremental that is and that could come from like very small things right you you basically gotten rid of a ritual that you are doing that was taking too much time uh it could be that you have uh what should i say yeah it could be that you have identified key uh people who can take on more responsibility so that they can deliver outsized impact it could be anything right but that is one thing that whenever i am sleeping <laughs> even tonight when i'm going to go sleep i just think hey was the team better today than it was yesterday right and that's okay so uh, in the long term this will make us become like the best technology team in the world right because every time it adds up now while all of these principles are good on paper right i think it actually comes down to whether the teams see you take responsibility and accountability when things don't go right right because not everything is going to work perfectly right for example uh, i think one of the things that we've had was we had somebody join the team uh, and it wasn't working out yeah like i said you know if there was a cultural mismatch it, it literally feels like you know the cog is not fitting in the entire machinery and it's generating a lot of noise um and when that happened like i kind of when and the fact that i realized it as soon as i could and when i realized it we moved very very quickly to address that and in a very very open forum i just said guys sorry i screwed up uh now i am going to take responsibility to make sure that things get back on track and we kind of did that but when leaders um demonstrate that level of accountability and ownership teams see that right and if they are the right cultural fit for the entire organization they tend to stick because there are few things that happen right they know that things are in a way very predictable they know what to expect from you as a leader they know what to expect from the company right so when you are offering that kind of predictability that kind of translates to psychological safety right that doesn't mean that you know the company direction won't change or the product area doesn't need to evolve rapidly etc but it helps them focus on that and not anything else right so they are not worried about hey what's going to happen tomorrow in my appraisal because they kind of know very very clearly for example we have like monthly feedbacks and the whole point about that was your quarterly rating or appraisal should not be a surprise you should just be like yeah i kind of know what i'm going to get right so that is how 
we've looked at the retention problem have a very strong culture reinforce it and ensure that culture is a two way thing like you are holding yourself accountable and you're holding everybody else accountable and literally in a lot of meetings people call back to our uh, cultural principles saying that hey you are not exhibiting this and that's that's totally fine and everything else i'm not saying is not important it's like you need to make sure that the teams have fun uh, you need to make sure that you know teams are compensated well uh, and you know you have the right mix uh, and also realize that every person is unique right uh, in terms of what their short medium to long term needs are right and you know can you be flexible enough to cater to those needs if you are that's great uh, and to be very honest it's easier in smaller teams and as the teams grow it becomes increasingly harder you fall back on framework but i think that's how we've kind of looked at uh, retaining by actually flipping the whole equation and saying this is not a problem for a company looking at people saying hey how do i kind of keep them captive but how do i how do we as an organization make it a place that people want to stay okay uh, and i myself i'm a very prime example of this so when i initially worked at live space one of the big reasons that i kind of came back is how much i love the culture at live space and the people that i worked with right and i want to ensure that every single person in my team walks away with that feeling yeah amazing well I think that's all the time we have today unfortunately and it was really good speaking to you and thank you so much for sharing your perspectives uh on this topic um you know I think our listeners probably would have gained a lot uh from this and I think they are, they probably have a much better understanding about how things go on in this space yeah really appreciate you joining us for this thanks it was a lovely conversation and thanks for having me yeah a pleasure so uh folks that's all please stay tuned for more podcasts and you know we'll see you next time